1: Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Today I'm joined by the one and only Kent Sterling. What's going on, my man, Kent? How you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Still watching NBA basketball. Bummed we're not watching the Pacers, but that's life.
1: That That is life, and, and last week we had to... Uh, Push back our conversation a week because the race was going on the Indy 500, and uh, you you were out celebrating like crazy, like you always do. And um, I was at home (laughs) recording the Pacers podcast because, unfortunately, uh, from Indiana. But I have no interest in the Indy Indy 500. I know that's really probably like blasphemy uh, to say that, but it's just kind of how I am, Kent.
0: (laughs) You have to go. You have to go once, and that'll change your mind. Okay, and it'll be just that simple. It's the most with fans. It's the most awesome, the first 10 laps, the last 10 laps are the most awesome thing you've ever seen in your life.
1: All right. Well, how many total laps are there? 200. So what about the other 180?
0: Well, you got a cooler there. So you got some chicken, you got some beer, you keep yourself occupied with conversation. You know, <laughs> it's, it really is like the, the first 10 laps and to see all those people is just, like you can't go anywhere on the planet. And see 350,000 people jammed into a property like that at the same time, just from a people perspective, it is awesome and incredible. And the roar is unlike anything you've ever heard. And then the finish is fine. And then, you, you know, you try to get the hell out of there as quick as you can so you don't get caught in three hours of traffic.
1: Well, that's that is good to know. If I ever decide to go, I'll make sure I let you know about my experience. But we got a lot to talk about today re- regarding the Pacers. So we haven't <laughs> talked in a while. the The series was, I believe, uh, two games. No, it was probably three games to zero when we talked on. before yeah. we would have talked last Sunday, so not a whole lot to talk about there as far as the series goes. But after that, obviously, Nate McMillan is fired. We talked about it a little bit on our last podcast. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Pacers deciding to move on from Nate McMillan.
0: I was really surprised. Um, it, it, I was at Colts practice when it happened, and Kevin Bowen saw the, saw the tweet from Scott Agnes and, and said, Nate McMillan's been fired. I said, everybody, they, all the media was like, what? That can't be. And mm-hmm. then he found out it was true, and I said then, I was like, this is Herb. There, there's no way this isn't Herb Simon or, or Steve Simon. Somebody from ownership made this call because there's no way you extend a guy in the way that the Pacers did where it was, what was it, 12 days prior, they announced the extension, and then you put a guy that's not a general manager doing that or the the president of basketball operations, that's an ownership deal and probably backed by a player kind of a, not a mutiny, but some information from players that that management took really, really seriously. And, And as it turns out, that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting when we read the articles about Nate McMillan and his firing. He basically said he thought if they had Sabonis that he could have won a first round of a playoff matchup. And he said that if he didn't win a first round playoff series with Sabonis, then he would have stepped down for them and made that decision for them. And I thought that was pretty you know, uh, commendable because I, when I think of Nate McMillan, I think of an absolute class act guy. You know, I mean, he, yeah. to me, I definitely felt like the Pacers' offense was extremely stagnant. I, I thought there were areas he could, you know, m- you know, drastically improve. But when it came down to it, I mean, I was I was surprised just because of the the extension that gave him. Even though, as Woj called it, it was a soft extension. I was I was still right. surprised that you know you give a guy one more year. I mean, what was it going to hurt one more year? You know, but like you said, this had to be one of the hardest things for Kevin Pritchard, and that's one of the things that sucks about this business is when you have developed such a close relationship with somebody making these kind of decisions is really tough but it seems to me that Nate McMillan was kind of understanding so it probably wasn't necessarily as hard as it might have been
0: and Nate McMillan isn't going to have to go out and panhandle to pay for his next meal you know Nate McMillan financially is fine he's been a head coach for a long time I don't think that he needed uh, another year to validate who he is in his own mind and 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 you're right he is 100% a classy guy and a mature guy and a man who knows exactly who he is and what he does and and that's the business you know if you look you look at the history of Pacers coaches nobody in the NBA era of the Pacers has ever lasted 6 complete seasons Nate McMillan made it through four. That's a good run. Generally, these guys go three or four years, and then out they go. Frank Vogel is five-plus, uh, which was extraordinary. And, and so you look at – they know what they're getting into, and the next person who they hire is going to know what he or she is getting into. You're here for three or four years, and out you go. And, and that's the way it is. You make yourself some millions of dollars, and, and you move on with your life. That's the NBA as we know it. There are very few coaches who stick around for a really long time, and and it never happens with the Indiana Pacers.
1: 85 years old, Herb Simon has, you know, apparently he demanded for this firing to happen. Um, I was told he was demanded or, or nudged Kevin Pritchard in that direction of letting go of nate and so whatever the correct terminology is there the firing happened like you said it did come from above it wasn't just kevin pritchard's decision on his own so let me ask you this at 85 years old owner of the team you know the team's been really struggling to get out of the first round of the playoffs i think it's been six years since they've done it do you think that herb simon is ready uh to start spending some money to try to get this team out of the first round of the playoffs
0: well, you know, these are really weird times. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure to what level they're going to have to spend or be able to spend because of how the salary cap is adjusted based upon revenue loss this year and then next year. Things are kind of cattywampus. I, I don't believe they're ever going to spend into the luxury tax. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that Herb likes getting that check from the, you know, from the NBA that that comes from the luxury tax that other teams pay. Um, And and so I don't think that's going to happen. But as far as paying for a coach, you know, the last two times, right, they've hired from within. Vogel was from within. Nate had been on the staff. And so you're giving a guy uh, a reasonable bump to move over from assistant coach to head coach. Uh, Maybe this time they go out and make a splash, do kind of a, a Larry Brown type hire where you bring a guy in who's going to be able to win basketball games based upon his coaching immediately, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And then I don't know what happens with the assistant coaches. I like those guys. Dan Burke is a really good dude. I don't want to see Dan lose his gig or Bill Bano or Popeye or those guys. This has been a very kind of a, uh, a stable organization for a long time minus that head coach position and uh this is going to be an interesting hire i but i don't think that herb's going to spend over and above where the luxury tax threshold is um i i would assume that in the offseason they're going to move some money yeah we'll see
1: yeah that's the thing i definitely think the pacers are probably more in win now mode than they are in rebuilding retooling but you never know with the way the trades are uh sorted out basically based on salary because who knows how much someone's going to be worth or you know what they're going to be able to trade for so it's it's going to be a a very unique summer a very busy summer for the pacers and you know i have to ask you this you you look at that coaching staff from the past couple of years and popeye jones has been with this team for a while now is he the big man coach for the pacers yeah yeah
0: that's He, he works with the bigs with miles and and back in the day al jefferson and with domas yeah
1: Okay, well, let me ask you this because I feel like I feel like Miles has gotten better, you know, since he came into the league. Obviously, but I feel like he, there's still more to his game that could have been, you know, unleashed. I think TJ Leaf regressed. I think Gogol was pretty pretty bad this year. I know that there's potential, but he was pretty bad. And then you look at like a guy like Sabonis, and I, I really just think Sabonis' growth just came from opportunity to play more. So. I, I I know we like Popeye, but is he really that great of a coach? Because I really don't feel like these guys have made drastic improvements.
0: Well, you know that's a that's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, Domas, you, you, I mean, you can't do that, right? What what you're doing? You're saying that the good that happened is because the guy who got really good has dedicated himself to getting better, and the guys who haven't gotten good. We're saying that Popeye is to blame for that, and and so that's I, I don't you, you well I didn't you say can't that exactly. The guy. You can't debit without crediting. You know well, what I no. mean? No,
1: I, I said Sabonis got better because of more opportunity. Uh, yeah, thirty-five right. minutes, you know, playing mostly, you know, with the offense running through him. I think that that definitely, you know, validated him getting better. I'm not saying that you know Popeye didn't have anything to do with it, but I'm just saying why a guy like okay for just example let's just use TJ Leaf let's not even use the starters a guy like TJ Leaf in three years why does he regress so badly to where his three-point shot doesn't even barely hit the rim now uh you know I know you talk about he could score 20 points on offense but he'll give up 50 on defense but what what has happened with him and specifically and what happened with Goga's growth because Goga was someone they were expecting to actually be able to play this year and backup center minutes, and he didn't even see the floor in the playoffs, and Jakar Sampson actually got more minutes than him. So let's talk a little bit about those two guys individually then.
0: Well, I mean, T.J. Leaf is – and I would amend what I said, that he could score 20 offensively but not be able to stop anybody. I don't know that he could score 10 at this point, but I don't hold Popeye necessarily accountable for that. I just don't think he can play. I think through our lives, and this is true in business as well as sports, you rise to the level of your of your incompetence, right? That's what the saying is. And and I think that TJ is that guy. You know, TJ Leaf as a freshman at UCLA looked the part of a guy who could grow into something. The Pacers, they bought into that, they draft him. He's not that. He's not an NBA basketball player. He is never gonna turn into Kevin McHale. Ever, 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 ever. He just can't play yeah. As far as Goga I Goga got dinged up a little bit I think they always knew he was a, a project um, So as a 20 year old now I, I don't know I, I, I get what you're saying But I, I'm not And nobody else is either We're not in the gym watching You know Popeye work miracles with guys And, uh, and, and see the level at which he, He's doing stuff And you know to your point that Domas has gotten better because of a greater opportunity. Did he get the greater opportunity to play because he got better? Or did he get better because he got greater opportunity? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are the questions we need to ponder. Um, and, and Popeye may or may not have had a whole lot to do with that. I, I just hate to see dudes lose their job. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And you get to know these guys. And and that's the same thing with Nate. You you get to know Nate a little bit. Uh, Nate's terrific with the media. He may not say much, but he's always willing to say what he says and uh, take the time. And, you know, he's not a a pain in the ass. It doesn't seem like he's uh, being preyed upon as the media has tried to talk to him and, and does access him. So we liked him as a guy. If you look at the the offense, yeah, it, it didn't work, and especially against the Heat. But I thought that was as much activity as anything else. Uh, I didn't think that it was necessarily, um, you know, how they ran the offense. I just didn't think guys had bought in to what was going on and and bought into the, you know, kind of the attitude that hey, we're going to go out and we're going to win this series. I really thought that the Pacers only played really good basketball and hard basketball for the third quarter of Game 3, and that was it. Yeah. The other 15 quarters, I thought they were garbage.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I thought they looked okay in Game 1 in the first quarter before Vic got his eye poked out. I mean, I really like that kind of – that game to me actually kind of manipulated my uh, belief in this team, unfortunately, because I really thought, hey, they were playing really well with Vic out there. I mean, they were up 33-27 to 27 going into the second quarter. But it was just, then he got hurt, so I'm like, okay, well, he's not coming back, and then you could just see, you know, the all bench units were awful, and stuff like that, so I'm just like, yeah, man, if we would have had Vic, you know, we would have been right in that game, we probably would have won it, maybe. You know, I'm trying to convince myself, well, we're a little bit closer than I thought we were, and then I come out and watch games two, and pretty much, you know, game four was awful, too. I mean, they they start out okay, and then they just, like, completely fall out, I don't know what happened, but... It just seemed like they were mentally and physically out-toughed by Miami on both yep. ends of the floor. And, you know, I mean, it's it's over with now. The The series, obviously, thank God it's over. Because, I mean, trying to watch four games of that was really tough. And um, I even thought Miami was going to beat us. We both did. But just the fight the Pacers played with was awful. It was it was really, really bad basketball to watch. Really bad. It, it, and And it can't be that. You
0: know what I mean? Like uh, a small market team like the Pacers, you've got to at least have effort. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have effort, like it, it, there's a vibe to it. It's kind of like going to a concert, right? You don't really understand. Maybe You can't pinpoint the, what makes a band kind of congeal on some nights and sound great and, and turn into a magical performance. But you feel it. You know, you can't point to a thing and say, yes, that's why. Mm -hmm. and same thing with basketball you watch basketball and either you feel the collective vibe or you don't and if if you feel the collective vibe it works and it's really fun to watch and if you don't it is awful and it's tedious and and those four games could not have been more tedious for me
1: yeah and that's what i'm saying like it wasn't just nate's fault the pacers lost that series he was the scapegoat every coach usually is especially when players are unhappy afterward it's on the players you're paid to go out there and compete get out there and compete I don't care if you don't like what the coach has to say or the way the coach is running the offense get out there and compete that's your job and um that's what you're paid to do so I get I get where frustrations can happen I get where you can be upset and the bubble atmosphere probably did not help that you know the guys being able to let loose a little bit relax i mean they're just stuck in one place that's all they have on their mind they can't do anything so i get all that but at the end of the day i felt like they weren't professional enough in the way they play the game so um but moving forward now kent um, right. the pacers are going to have to make some significant changes with their with their uh, coaching staff and uh moving forward so who do you like as a potential candidate to come in here
0: you know what? Here's what I would like, and this is kind of a nonsense answer, really vague and non-specific. I would kind of like a guy we've never heard of. Okay, you know what I mean? Like uh, I, w- I want somebody go out and get the next. And this is really easy to say. And, and I know that Nick Nurse was an assistant under Dwayne Casey up in up in Toronto before they gave the job to Nick Nurse. Go get the next one of that. You know what I mean? Go get. If you you think that the next Brad Stevens is out there someplace, go find that. I I don't need a guy who, and and all respect to Nate, but I don't need a guy to come in who's who's coached in the NBA for a decade at least and has won one playoff series. You know what I mean? (laughs) I would rather dance with the devil that we don't know and who gives us a little bit of hope as, as maybe the next whomever. Uh, rather than go get some guy who, who's done it at a mediocre level and, and you're expecting him all of a sudden to be something that he's, he's never been before as a leader and, and go become really, really successful. Like, you look at um, when, when, the, uh, when the Warriors hired Steve Kerr, right. right? Mark Jackson, by all accounts, was doing a good job. But Kerr comes in and all of a sudden that thing elevates. You know, you, you look at those kinds of moves. Look at, um, and he came from the staff, and this goes back a long time. But look at Phil Jackson a, as a guy who was on Doug Collins' staff. Uh-huh. Nobody knew that. Everybody thought, like, there were rumors about why Doug Collins got fired and that it was a, a disaster that they had hired Phil or Phil uh, Jackson. It wound up being really, really prescient and really, really smart. You know, and it helped that they had Michael Jordan, too. Uh, But go get yeah, go get the next something instead of, you know, the previous guy, the names that we know. Don't go out and hire Mark Jackson for the love of God. You know, (laughs) hire hire another hire somebody, you know, go get somebody else. Go get somebody we've never heard of but is the next guy. Do your job, Kevin Pritchard, and find that next person to go lead this franchise someplace other than where it's already been.
1: Well, let, let me ask you this because you said don't bring a mediocre guy. So, would you say that Mike D'Antoni, who was rumored by Adrian Wojnarowski, Ugh. is a mediocre guy? Because
0: I wouldn't say he's mediocre. Uh, I, well, he's never been to the NBA Finals. Where do you want to go? But right? where are the Pacers NBA, realistically going? He's the most talented go. offensive player I've ever seen. And he's also got uh, Westbrook and he's got Eric Gordon and he's got Capella and he's got all these guys.
1: Well, they trade And they Capella. never go
0: anywhere because the style of play is, is uh, I don't think that you can win playing basketball like that at the highest level. So, uh, you know, here's a guy who in the regular season with the Rockets has, has done some things in the postseason, never really done things at the level that you'd like to, despite having a, a myriad of opportunities. Plus... And, and maybe this is unfair, right? I associate D'Antoni as a coach with a style of basketball that's being played by the Rockets. Maybe with another roster, he'd come in and do something different. He's yeah. he's done it differently before as a coach for the Knicks and other places. I can't watch Rocket-style basketball here in Indiana. It would drive me absolutely bonkers. I, could, I, I would have to swear off the Pacers— and and just not watch them nearly as much if they're going to play basketball like that. I just can't watch that team play.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how much D'Antoni is involved with uh wanting to play, you know, five guards basically or five wings. I don't know right. if that's more of a Daryl Morey think is Daryl is pretty analytical um and he's the one calling the shots there. I don't know how much longer he'll be doing that, but you know, they traded away all their centers. The only center they even have on their team right now is Tyson freaking Chandler. He's like 90 years old. So, I mean, it's like, uh, what are you expecting to do? I mean, he's doing the best of what he can. He's playing. What I like about him is he does play his best players. And he doesn't, you know, get away from that. He's like, well, these are my top eight, top nine players. I want to play him. But if you look back when they had Chris Paul when he got injured in game five at the end of game five, you know, it, it took the Warriors basically, you know, winning game six, which was very winnable for the Rockets, um, which I think they could have been more competitive in that series if, if they had Chris Paul for game six. And then, of course, game seven, he was out and the Rockets missed 27 threes. I get it. You live by the three. You die by the three. They died right. by it. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, I to say that he's, you know, I mean, I get it. He's, he's probably not the best championship level coach that you could go out there and get. But who else is, you know? Who is that next Nick Nurse? I don't know who that is, and you know, like you said, it's uh, it's a it's a tough call because if you swing and you miss again, I mean, you're just continuing to put this franchise back. With D'Antoni, it's something that you you kind of have an idea of what you're going to get. So I kind of like knowing a little bit going into it of what kind of style we could see. And offensively, I I do like the way his teams have played throughout his coaching career, not necessarily the Rockets because it can be kind of boring uh, to watch them uh, play the way they do, but they have one of the best playmakers in the entire NBA and James Harden. And I know it would be a lot different here because I can't see the Pacers trading both of their centers away. Um, Nope. (laughs) You know, they're going to keep one of them. They're going to trade one of them, my personal opinion. And I, and I think they're going to move forward in that direction. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Victor. If Victor wants out, we're going to hear what, we're going to hear multiple reports about Victor being out. It's just what's going to happen because Victor's camp is going to continue to leak things because Victor is so, uh, he's so hungry for attention and he'll do whatever he can to get attention. Just keep paying attention to it. He's becoming very egotistical. And uh, I don't say that lightly. I just, I've seen a lot of things from Vic recently that his demeanor is not good. So I, I would not be shocked if they, if they're all about culture, I think he kind of kills that culture they once had established there. So, they could they could but what move. are you
0: going to get for him like you're you're not trading 2018 victor Oladipo,
1: well, it's who, better, who's, a,
0: who's an all-star this is a guy who couldn't get the corner on goran dragic through that entire series and in game 4 jimmy butler went around him went baseline and and victor had no answer at all to the point where it looked like he'd grown roots and he couldn't move like it it was it was embarrassing to watch him defend it the level he did and if it's physical Whether it's physical or psychological, it doesn't even really make any difference because this is a guy who flat out did not defend in the postseason and offensively couldn't create squat. So if you're an NBA franchise, what are you going to give for Victor Oladipo headed into the last year of his contract where he might be a one-year rental? And and if he's not, at what level would you extend him? He's not anywhere near a max guy. right? So how do you... So, he isn't going to, what he's going to do, and this is what he always does, is he's going to bet on himself. He's going to believe that through this offseason of work, he's going to be able to get the leg right and he's going to be able to move like he used to move. And all of a sudden, he's going to be Victor Oladipo, the 25 year old Vic, instead of the 28 year old Vic. And it's all going to be beautiful for him. But he doesn't know that that's going to happen. And the people who really don't know that's going to happen are the 29 other GMs. And Kevin Pritchard too. So, what what can the Pacers hope to go out and get? Uh, what kind of value do do you put your chips on the table that Vic's going to come back and be productive and not be a cancer in the in the locker room, or do you take you know kind of a, a low ball offer just to move the guy, free up the twenty one million, and go get somebody else to play the two who, who's got a bit of a clue as to how to be a teammate? can create a little bit of offense, and defend anybody? Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's a good question, and I, and I think the Pacers have to be very smart about what decision they make. They don't want to be too rash and, and make a quick decision, but I, but I do believe that they have to make the right decision. And is the right decision trading him and getting 25 cents on the dollar, or is it right. don't trade him and let him walk in free agency the next year because, you know, rumors... (laughs) swirling basically all point to him not wanting to be here and if you if you listen to our last podcast with Jay Michael he kind of hinted at some players being upset with uh, with teammates I mean you can kind of figure it out if you look at the roster there weren't a lot of issues before the bubble and then once the bubble happens there were issues and you know Vic hadn't really played that long um, (laughs) from you know I think it was 13 games before the bubble so I think you can kind of figure out by just narrowing it down and i think some yeah. fans already have and you also look at you know if, if you got a guy like brogdon and a guy a guy like oladipo reportedly unhappy with that um you know if those are your and you and you know this kent a guy in the media you talked to all these guys you said justin holiday has the best interview in the locker room this year yeah and he is one of the classiest guys malcolm was brought in to be the leader of this team I think that also rubbed Vic the wrong way, um, and I will and I will say this: I did hear that Victor felt like this wasn't his team when he returned from his injury, and that is why he waited till the end of January to make his return because uh, he said the locker room felt different, and that was a that was a rumor I heard. So really, to me, it just all points to Victor Oladipo is somebody you have to move. I'm not sure what you're going to get in return for him. Somebody out there. That has enough pieces, or is willing to part with a piece to make their team better, will likely take a gamble on them. Uh, Somebody like some team like Denver makes sense. You might not give up Murray or Jokic, but you might give up some other pieces to maybe get him. And you know, while the Pacers might think, well, you know, we kind of want to see what this could be. If if you can get something back, and then maybe possibly trade that if they play better into something else. I I don't know. I just I think you have to figure out a who your coach is. And B, what kind of style you want to play, and then go about deciding who or what you do with Victor Oladipo.
0: Well, and the, another part of the tough aspect of trading Vic is getting the money to match up. You yeah. know, he's twenty-one million against the cap next year, so the Pacers are getting, and, and virtually everybody's going to be over the cap when this thing gets rolling because the cap number is going to come down, and so you've got to kind of match up the money. Would you rather have Victor Oladipo at twenty one million or the assets you would have to give up for Victor at whatever the whatever the number has to be in order to to be a a valid pairing, like eighteen million or whatever, or nineteen million? Would you rather have that nineteen million dollars worth of stuff or Vic at twenty one million? You know, Victor might want to be someplace else. But he's going to have to find a team that wants Victor to be someplace else too. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's the employee without an easy employer at this point because who the hell wants him right. at the level he's playing it right now? And and that makes it really tough for Kevin to get value for him. It makes it tough to make the math work, and it's going to be really really difficult for Victor to get the kind of deal that he wants unless next year he balls out and he changes entirely his attitude and changes his, his physicality to where he can move and get around. Goran Dragic is a white guy, 34 years old. How in the hell? I don't care if you're on one leg. You've got to be able to get around that guy, despite the fact that he's a smart defender. You've got to be able to figure that out. If you're can't, if you Victor Oladipo and you can't expose Goran Dragic as Dragic is, is matched up with you with no help, you got no chance.
1: Well, I mean, uh, Drogic played, played it out of his mind in that series. He was a difference maker, in my opinion, for why the, why the Heat won that series. And he was torching everybody. The Pacers are slow-footed. I've been saying this for the last couple podcasts. Victor is the only guy that has any burst, and whenever he had any burst, he couldn't hold on to the basketball. So it, it's You're it's, right
0: about Drogic, but as a defender.
1: Well, I like, get that. Court, he was
0: awful. Right and he so there's a matchup that should work for you is like anybody paired up with Dragic they put Dragic on Oladipo for a reason right yeah he wasn't there because they th- they respect Victor as an offensive basketball player and and Victor just looked anemic against mm-hmm. a guy that he should have been able to pants and
1: couldn't well, and I thought it was interesting how they put Duncan Robinson on Malcolm Brogdon quite a bit. Yeah, and um, yeah. that that just goes to show you because I think Brogdon is better off ball. Unfortunately, I-, I just feel like he's he's not quick enough to get to the to the basket. He uses his size to kind of go through guys, but if you can put a guy like Duncan Robinson on him, who's about the same size as him, he's not going to be able to create a ton of separation. Now we know you know Malcolm had a pretty good series, and uh, they were definitely hunting that matchup, trying to get Duncan on. You know, onto the onto the ball handler and try to attack him at the rim. But at the same time, whenever he would do that, all the other defenders would watch that. So, I mean, kind of circle back to you know the whole Vic thing and what's going to happen. I really think what could happen is similar to what the Thunder and the Magic did when they traded Serge Ibaka for Sabonis and Oladipo. He goes to the Magic; it's a bad fit, but he doesn't play bad. And so, before the deadline, he gets traded to Toronto. And then Toronto finds something special in him and they re-sign him. I think that could be a similar situation with Victor. They trade him to another team. He struggles. The, the, the fit's really bad. And so then they're like, hey, we're going to get rid of him. But he's been playing better. We're going to get rid of him. you know. So maybe the Pacers should wait to the deadline and just kind of see how it is. But my biggest thing is team chemistry. And if you have guys like Malcolm and Justin Holiday saying there's some issues, that's where I'm a little concerned.
0: Yeah, and, and you hit on, I think, a good point. That's the, the decision for Pritchard is to figure out whether you whether you sell Vic low now just to get him off the books and, and get something back for him. Or you bring him back and you have him play and show that he's back to being a productive guy on, on both ends. And then you get real money for him. You get real return for him at the deadline. But that doesn't seem to be the way the Pacers really do business very often.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's it's. I just don't know if this is the way they usually do business. Period. Though with the way they handle McMillan. Yeah, you know. Right? So maybe maybe things are going to start changing. I'm not sure what exactly is going to happen. But um, are there any guys out there? I know you said that you want a new guy. Are there yeah. any assistants that have never been given a head coaching job that you have any interest in and in getting an interview and maybe being able to take over this team as the head coach?
0: Oh, you know what? I, I'm not that deep into it that I would know like I'd never heard of Nick Nurse when when <laughs> he was announced as the next coach for the Raptors. So I, I'm not that deep into it thinking, you know, oh, here's the next Frank Vogel or, you know, here's the next this guy, that guy, the other guy. Um, I'm not, And that's that's Kevin's job. Kevin's got to figure this out just like he figures out drafts. And hopefully he, he gets this done. And nothing against Kevin. I like Kevin. I think he does a good job. And I understand that drafting in the 20s is always difficult. But the the Pacers have not bathed themselves in glory over the past four drafts. And and you know they keep bringing guys in. Like can you can you foresee a time when Aaron Holiday is the point guard, the starting point guard for a championship level team? Uh, I can't. I can't see that happening. TJ no. Leaf they brought in the year before. Karis Levert they drafted and traded for Thad Young, which I got at the time. And then you got you got our guy eh, Goga, who, who <laughs> your I guy has, I love I love Goga. Not my guy. I think your guy's going to be pretty good. But you know what? I mean, at that level, when you're drafting 18th, you, you got to. You're either going to go get a guy like Aaron Holiday. You know exactly what he's going to be. Or you go out and get a guy with tremendous upside that, that you really believe in and in his development, and you develop him into something. And, and so I don't, I don't hold Pritchard accountable necessarily for these drafts that haven't necessarily paid dividends, but this is a huge hire. If yeah. he gets the wrong guy here, then it's his ass, yeah. right? He, he's going to get fired. There's no scapegoating at this point. You're you're fixing the problem as you believe it exists or you've been strong-armed by Herb to do that, in which case you're going to be fired anyway. Because if you have to general manage or be the president and, and you're taking your orders from a guy who runs shopping malls and, and has made his billions doing that rather than in basketball, you're going to get fired anyway.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if that's the case, then wouldn't you expect him to go after a name that – is already established if he's afraid he's going to lose well, his job. Well,
0: see, that's the thing, right? And well, and because like, if you go to Herb, and, and Herb's terrific, and Herb generally has been a, a, a wonderful owner in a myriad of ways and and has been a guy who lets his GMs do their job the way they want. It sounds like he, he stepped beyond that with, with this coaching change. But you're going to have to – as you hire the new guy, Herb's gonna gonna say yes. And if you if you come with the next Nick Nurse, who he's never heard of, you're gonna have to make a hell of a case to Herb to have him sign off on it. Yeah. You know, with, with Dan Tony, maybe you don't have to.
1: Yeah, that's and see, I think I think that if you come back and say, "All right, Mike D'Antoni gonna agree to be our coach," I think Herb Simon's excited. If you say, "Oh, I think Darvin Ham," from Milwaukee is going to be our coach, Right? he's going to be like, um, okay, why do you like him? Give me more. I need to see more because there's a, there's no sample size. I mean, same thing with Kenny Atkinson. I understand people have been kind of high on him just because he had one good year in Brooklyn and everybody kind of overpraised him, in my opinion. Um, I looked at his records and I was looking at him as a coach and it's just like I feel like he's a um, a young talent kind of guy. I think he'd be a great fit for like a Chicago type team where he's yeah. trying to get them to that next step. But it's just, um, I don't know if he's that guy that's going to get you uh, to a championship level. Um, and it's just a small sample size. So it's really hard for me to gauge who he is as a coach, uh, as far as how productive he can be in the playoffs adjustments and that kind of thing. Basically from what we've heard from Michael Grady on the air is layups and threes is all he plays. That's all he does. And you know, that doesn't benefit a guy like TJ Warren at all. Uh, Sabonis isn't right. that kind of player either so it's like you know that's why I, I think for me I don't think D'Antoni is all layups and threes every time especially because he ran a lot of pick and roll situations when they had Capella now I don't think the Pacers necessarily have a center that you know models the athletic big and a clink Capella type guy but I mean what Capella wasn't great at was, you know, being a playmaker. So I think if you can use Sabonis, even though he's probably not as athletic, you could use him in that offense as a playmaker because if he rolls someone helps out, he's surrounded by shooters, he's gonna find the open man. That's just what Domas does. So Right I uh I'm intrigued a little bit by by D'Antoni, I won't lie. And he's he's sixty-nine years old. Uh, him and Kevin Pritchard do have the same agent. Him and Donnie Walsh right. who was a consultant with the Pacers. Uh, go back to their uh, you know um, chemistry back in 2011 2012 when Donnie was with the Knicks. So honestly, Kent, I'm just I'm I mean when I look at all the other names, it's like I don't really know what to expect. Like you said, we're not really sure who to who to go out there and get because that's not our job. We're just kind of going off what we've seen from previous stints. But I I do know that D'Antoni has had deep runs in the playoffs, and that to me is more enticing than someone that I don't have any idea what they could be.
0: You know, and you brought up a good point. You mentioned Chicago, right? It, what are their five openings right now? And there's likely to be a sixth because of Dan Tony. Yeah. So you've, you're not necessarily like this. isn't the plum job mm-hmm. in the NBA, this isn't like the, my God, I've got to do, do everything you have to, to make a deal with the Pacers. You know, that's not what the Pacers are right now. This is kind of a, a franchise with some question marks. So, where do you stack the Pacers in this in this hierarchy of teams all looking for a coach? If you were Darvin Ham, would you want Chicago or would you want Indiana? Would you want Houston? Would you know there there are there are teams who are likely to be in front of the Pacers as they select who they want. So this you know hopefully, although it, it sounds like. This was Herb just had it. Players had it. So it, what I've always said is you don't want to fire a guy before you know who's next. You know what yeah. I mean? So if they've already got the deal done, great. But this doesn't. this sounds like it might have been kind of a surprise for Kevin that he was put in a position where he had to make this call. And so he might not have had all his ducks in a row as far as, okay, I'm going to go ahead and fire Nate. And I've got this guy in my pocket already. And, and that might be – hopefully hopefully they do have that because I think it puts them in a better position to get the guy that they want rather than wait for all the silt to settle from this, this playoff run and have other guys all of a sudden, you know, Chicago makes a hire and Houston makes a hire. And, and these teams that are in, maybe in front of the Pacers make their hires – and all of a sudden, Kevin is is kind of picking over the uh, the wretched refuse, trying to find his next coach.
1: Yeah, and that's a, and that's a great point to bring up. It's 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 going to be really tough. And um, you know, it's it's really just depends on what style they want to play, what style they feel like moving forward with. I feel like the Pacers have been defensive minded since two thousand, back to when Isaiah Thomas took over. Which I don't really know if they had an identity when he was a coach, um, but you know with rick carlisle and everybody right. but jim o'brien really had a defensive-minded uh, approach to the game and you know the the rosters that were constructed for jim o'brien were just putrid and honestly he he probably got more out of those lineups than most coaches would have i just didn't think he was a good locker room fit but when you're talking about the hierarchy it depends on who you're going after right so if they if their guy is D'Antoni, which is reported right you got to look at who's around okay does he make sense for philadelphia um Not necessarily, because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are their two-star players. If they want to work things out with them, I can't see those two thriving in a D'Antoni system. You know, Simmons can't shoot a three for his life, and Joel Embiid is, you know, always injured, and he's a a low-post player. So, to me, I can't see them being a great fit. Um, New Orleans, maybe. Maybe they are. Depends on... If the organization wants to run Zion as an undersized five, if they want to play right. more of a four out with Zion as the pick and roll screener, which could be enticing, but at the same time they might want to, you know, play a little bit of a different style. I mean, there's been rumors of Ty Lue maybe will be going down there. Um, I, I'm not really sure who all is on their radar, but I mean, New Orleans' possibility. Obviously, Brooklyn's attractive because I've got Durant and Kyrie. There's no doubt about that. Um, Chicago is really young. I don't think that they are necessarily that team that uh older coach like d'antonio would want to take over but with the pacers you have some fundamental pieces here i mean if you if you really believe victor is going to stay then you've got victor hopefully he can get back to you know 90% 80% of what he once was you got. I think Brogdon would actually be really good in D'Antoni's system as an off ball player because he's yeah. he's a pretty good defender and he's a really good shooter. I think Sabonis could thrive as that screener. I think Miles would be okay as that screener too. Whoever they make a decision on, I mean, I'm honestly I, I would prefer them keep Sabonis because of his playmaking. But if they go with D'Antoni right. and decide to keep Miles and trade Sabonis, like that's fine with me. I just think they got to make a decision on one and. Whatever they do, I'm gonna support the team in whatever way they go because I'm a fan of the team, right? But um, it'll be a tough call for me going forward. I, I just think that uh, Sabonis, you know, I mean Turner, I mean, could fit in that system. So, but they have pieces they can move, right? They're not like tied down to a roster. They're not like we're gonna build around these guys. And I think the other teams kind of have other players they're like solidified on. Hey, we're keeping these guys. You're gonna have to figure this out. I think the Pacers, really, there's nobody in my mind that should be technically safe from getting traded on this Pacers team. And, you
0: know, what happens with Miles Turner is going to be interesting because he's going to have value. Yeah, He's under contract the next three years at a manageable $18 million. Uh, He's a guy who can shoot threes. He's a guy that, to your point about Popeye Jones a little bit ago, he's a guy who hasn't reached his potential yet. He's 24 years old. He he's he's got growth you can see it. You, you could see it in game 4. There were moments in game 4 where where Miles was like, "Okay, give me the damn ball. I'm going to work." Oh, yeah. And we really haven't seen that a whole bunch and that gave that gave reason for hope with Miles Turner. And and as we've talked negatively about Victor Oladipo and what the bubble has meant to Victor's value in terms of what other teams might be willing to give the Pacers for him, Miles Turner, I think, helped himself in the bubble in showing his potential and what he can be on a regular basis if the need for him to be that is there and the demand for him to be that is there. I I think that Miles Turner all of a sudden becomes a guy where you can get something back that could could be very helpful, but at the same time, Maybe you're better off keeping the guy because at 27, he has a chance to be much, much better than he is at 24 and and could be a component piece to a really successful team.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he provides shot blocking. He's, you know, um, an average three point shooter. I wouldn't say he's great at it, but he's average. Um, he's definitely better at that than Sabonis. Sabonis never even takes threes. So, depending on your system, yeah, he could make more sense. But at the end of the day, I think Sabonis could make sense, too. And one of the biggest arguments, which I kind of agree with, is if you trade Miles, more teams are going to have an easier fit getting Miles into their roster than Sabonis. Because I think a lot of offenses where Sabonis is going to be you know, involved with, he can't just be a guy that sits in the dunker spot. You're not utilizing him correctly. And you're not, you're not going to utilize him like, uh, OKC didn't have success where you're trying to make him a stretch four. He's not that right. player. So he's got to be heavily involved in the pick and roll game. So if there's a team that wants to play that style of basketball and they want to make a trade for Sabonis, that makes sense. But I think if you just like New Orleans is a team that's been really hot in the, in the, in the talks of wanting Miles to be paired up with Zion Williamson, you know, right. if, if it depends on what kind of team it is, but I think Miles makes more sense. As other teams might want to be able to like ease him in and just throw him in there because he's not as different, I guess you could say he's more modern with, uh, with the way the NBA is going. So it's just it's just a really tough call, and um, you know it's it's this. There's so many people that are divided on this. I understand some people were so excited Sabonis wasn't in the bubble, and then I think we kind of saw why you needed him in the bubble, um, especially in those playoff games. Number one, I think he's a really good glue guy for the locker room, and, yes. and number two, I think he's really, you know, he's really mentally tough, and I think he doesn't let things really bother him that much. He'll get frustrated with himself when he gets a foul trouble stuff like that, but he doesn't really allow outside noise to affect him. Right? I've never really seen that from him, and I think he's an excellent passer and screener. And that's one thing the Pacers really missed with that offense they ran was someone that could screen and playmake. And that's why I think he could thrive um, with, with a D'Antoni offense. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just uh, – <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, but D'Antoni is my number one choice right now for the Pacers just because I'm a little bit nervous about the unknown with another coach. But I would be interested to see if they brought in D'Antoni, if he tried to bring in somebody as like an assistant after like five years, could replace him and kind of keep that same system going.
0: You know, it, it, going back to Sabonis just for a second, that, that's what I love about him. What you said about his behaviors, mm-hmm. he exhibits the behaviors uh, of a championship level athlete, mm-hmm. right? He is a team first guy in a league where you got a lot of prima donnas and you got a lot of divas and a lot of CEOs and I remember when Miles came out uh of Texas and and was drafted and and what he said he really wanted to be and he was completely blunt about this he wanted to be the CEO of his own corporation all right you know what that's great that's a laudable kind of aspiration for a guy I want a guy who says I just want rings I want championships I want to be a good teammate I want to beat the hell out of people and at the end of the season I want to raise banners this is why I'm here. This is why I play basketball, and and so it's it's that. And this is using you know a five year old interview, uh, kind of against Miles Turner, but watching Domas Sabonis be a very very team oriented guy, and and I think that that's I think that's a critical need for this team as they try to figure out how to become a winning franchise again. Uh, I think you need guys like Domas. Regardless of his physical limitations, and let's remember he was an all-star, and he's an 18 and 12 and a half guy. You know, he, he's a guy who can do a lot of things that you like, and he brings a toughness. And the Pacers were woefully lacking in toughness. So I, I like Domas. I wouldn't trade him for anything. You got him. You got him under control for another four years. He's 24 years old. I love the kid and And so i I'm not you if the pacers have an untouchable guy, that's the one yeah. with me who's untouchable from a coaching perspective what what i'd like i I'd like a guy who, in the last minute of a game, is going to win you a game, and I know that's the player's job to go out and you need a guy where you can clear the floor and have your man beat their guy and knock down buckets and I get that, but I want somebody who can who can somehow lift. The five, we got on the floor and get good results on both ends during that final minute and use scheme in order to be able to win once in a while and go get a guy that people are going to enjoy playing for yeah. and, and are really going to kind of bring effort for relentlessly. And I think that Nate was that guy for, for a period of time. But what happened over the course of the final four games uh, was, was, I think, embarrassing for the franchise, for the city, for Nate, for everybody associated with the Pacers.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the players in the locker room. You know, absolutely, they made a huge change. They got rid of a lot of their veterans: Corey Joseph, Darren Collison, Thad Young, Bojan Bogdanovich. I mean, guys that yep. were real staples and glue guys of that successful run in seventeen eighteen. And I think after they had the success they had in 17-18, where you know they were supposed to finish in like tenth or eleventh in the East. They go take LeBron to, you know, seven games in the first round matchup. It got those players excited, got those guys excited, and they believed in Nate. They believed Nate could really be their coach that led them into, you know, a a nice playoff run and have some some playoff success. And so the Pacers didn't make any moves. They bring back pretty much the exact same roster the next year, and they bring in Tyreek Evans. And I think that's not Nate McMillan's fault. That's Kevin Pritchard's fault. Sorry, it is. And the fact that they wouldn't get rid of him. Is is worse enough? I mean, for crying out loud, if you're not if you're getting suspended for marijuana tests in the NBA, then you're not doing something right. You must be like doing it all <laughs> the time because, yeah, I mean, you never hear about that hardly ever. Maybe yeah. every once in a while, a guy gets suspended like five games for something, but it hardly ever happens because their testing is not as you know as strict as the NFL and stuff like that. So, personally, when well, they I mean,
0: know when they're going to get them,
1: right? They know
0: how many they're going to get. And the last one, when the last one happens, they know there aren't any more come. It, it's it, to your point, it, it's not a difficult system to beat. Yeah. And, and so, you know, yeah. I, and Tyreek, I think Tyreek had, had issues that extended beyond pot. But uh, yeah, I, he was not, nor was he ever going to be a guy that you could win around. You right. know, I get it. Nineteen and a half points is last year with the Grizzlies, and, and a guy who can put the ball in the bucket. But uh, I, I think you got to be a little bit more diligent <laughs> in deciding who you're going to put in that locker room.
1: Well, and then where did the Grizzlies finish? I mean, it's not like what he was doing was yeah, right. You know, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not getting them wins. So that's where I look at moves like that. It's like, well, you wouldn't trade, you know, Aaron Holiday reportedly for Mike Conley, you know, a, a proven veteran, but you're okay bringing in a guy like Tyreek Evans into your locker room? Like, uh, obviously, the Grizzlies wanted nothing to do with him. And, you know, the Pacers were trying to get J.J. Redick. And I think if they would have had J.J. Redick, uh, I think locker room-wise, they probably would have been a lot better. And J.J. even said he came out on his podcast and said, I was actually going to go to Indiana before I got this offer from – The Pelicans, I believe it was. No, it was the Sixers where he re-upped, right? So the Sixers ended up giving him more money two years ago to re-up there with them, and so that's why he ended up not going with the Pacers, but he said he was really close, and he had had conversations with them. So you know, I, I just think that the Pacers have to be smart with their offseason moves. They they have to hit on everything. They they don't they can't afford to miss. They can't afford to draft another T.J. Leaf. You know, they don't even have a draft pick this year. The only pick right. they have is 54 in the second round, which I'm sure they'll probably end up trading that for some reason because uh, they don't want to pay the or salary it. on it. Yeah, you right. know, uh, that's what I really think is going to happen. And, I mean, when I talk to Jay Michael, I'm not sure if this was on the air or not. Because um, we did talk a little bit off there, but he said the Pacers pretty much. He said they have no interest in 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 this draft right now. So the the, the talks of trading one of your go to guys like Miles or Oladipo for a second round or the second pick overall from Golden State, like I don't see that happening. They want guys that are going to be able to help them win now. They're not in rebuild mode, and you know there's nobody at this and at the top of this draft board that's going to really change the dynamic of this of the of the NBA going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know how they would get the two from the Warriors. I don't know what what asset they have that they could give up in order to get that. Right. Um, I, I've heard things like about what is it, thirteen? The Pelicans have thirteen. Um, you know, there are rumors about that being in play. Uh, I don't. It, it, it's such a crapshoot, right? Uh, I think that what. What you've seen is that they're an organization, the Pacers are, who can go out and make the kind of deal that they made to go get a guy like T.J. Warren. And you, you sort of know what you're getting in T.J. Warren. He's a pro. He's, what, 26 years old. You, you know he can go get you buckets. You know that he has it in him, the potential to play reasonably good defense. When you draft a 19-year-old, you, you have no idea what kind of, what kind of jackpot you could wind up with. Or, or what kind of uh, a, a train wreck you wind up with. So giving the, the resources necessary, assuming that the Warriors would be complicit in a deal that would give the Pacers the number two overall pick. Uh, I, Pacers haven't drafted in the top nine since like 1989.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: not the kind of deal they make. It, it's not in their DNA. I would be stunned if they if they tried to put something together like that.
1: Yeah, and like the only time they ever did try to make a trade like that is when they traded Antonio Davis to the Raptors for Jonathan Bender, right? And you know they got him, I think, with like the fifth overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So you know, like they might be able to get like a lottery pick. I would maybe guess later lottery um, if somebody wants, if somebody has a the cap space and b, you know, that they want to take a risk on a guy like Oladipo maybe, oh well we'll trade you this pick and so and so for him so we can have a chance to maybe re sign him and build around him. I mean who who knows? I mean there's th- the Knicks would be someone I could see doing win. that. I could see the Knicks trading like the ninth or eighth pick, whatever they have, for Vic. It would not shock me. It's something the Knicks would do um, especially since Vic has connections with uh, the new management up there in New York. I mean, that would be something to keep an eye on. I mean, I'm not saying the Pacers want that pick, but maybe they could flip that pick and get a player they want. You know what I mean? So, Because uh, that pick might be more valuable to the Pacers than Vic. Uh, I hate to say he that. He needs but to be
0: careful what he would wish for. If, yeah. if he would wish for a trade to New like the Knicks fans aren't playing. They know basketball. It's a vicious media market. They would have skewered. Victor Oladipo for his four performances against the Miami Heat. They'd kill him. He, yeah. You know, it would be uh, – talk about trials and tribulations. He <laughs> would be miserable in New York City if he can't find a way to be what he was.
1: Well, in Victor's mind, it wouldn't be the New York Knicks, it'd be the New York Vicks. So that's all that would matter to him. So, <laughs> look uh, at you. I've been sitting on that for 52 minutes. No, actually, I just, it just hit me when we were talking. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it just, I can kind of see that because it's the the kind of way, the vibe I'm getting from Vic. But I know some fans are like so upset that he's going to leave. I mean, I'm to the point, I don't even care. Like the dude to me, uh, doesn't seem engaged. I think he, uh, to me, it looked like he kind of quit on the team throughout that series. And, that's just me watching. I just felt like he did not really care that much as far as being a team player. I think he cared in the sense of he wants to make himself look good, and he wants to rebrand himself, and he wants people to want him. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, there's a weird vibe there. I'm just, it's my own opinion. Hey, have your own opinions. If you think he's here for the long haul, you want him to be here, have that opinion. It's your own opinion. But uh, Kent, we've kind of rambled here for a while. Um, Really enjoyed talking with you about all this stuff. I'm just you know, there's not really a ton to talk about. It's just kind of what you want to see the team do, and yeah. um, honestly, like I'm just I'm just hoping the Rockets uh, get knocked out of the playoffs soon, so we can have that Mike D'Antoni decision and uh, see what the Pacers do. You know, I mean, they're definitely going to interview him, though. I don't think they're going to make any quick decision.
0: And and from a player perspective, all it takes is one moron of a general manager. Yeah, you know, to to go fleece somebody and get some real equity in return for uh, an asset that really has limited value. So there's always a chance that you know somebody's going to do exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time and give the Pacers what they need for for something that they no longer covet. So yeah, and and it is going to be interesting to see who the Pacers bring in as the next coach. And I just hope my only hope in this deal. Is, is that Herb lets Kevin do it Kevin's way and, and doesn't get involved as an activist owner because activist owners, you know, the, the best owners just own. They yeah. sign checks, you know, and, and the best general managers, they manage, and the best coaches coach. And if you've got that delineation of responsibilities in your in your kind of leadership hierarchy, you got a real chance to be successful. But when owners start to meddle, it never works out. When managers, uh, general managers start to meddle with coaches, that doesn't work out. They hire people, let them do their jobs. And, and I hope that, that Herb, at the age of 85, he's not hearing that clock ticking so loudly that he feels like he's got to get involved in order to win a championship that he covets.
1: Well, if he's going to be able to just uh, open up his pocketbook and spend more money and pay that tax, I'm all for it. Do it, Herb. Yeah.
0: What do we care? It's not our money.
1: It's not our money. We just want to see the team succeed and uh, get (laughs) out of the first freaking round. My goodness, it's so annoying. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I just want to see this Pacers team have success. I want to see an offense that's a little fun to watch. You know, defense is cool and all, but I thought the defense was pretty poor in that series as well, Kent. So it's it's not... I mean, it's like, you know, you got this guru in Dan Burke who's been here for 20-plus years, but the defense looked awful atrocious. And I mean, and that's not even a personnel thing. That's just an effort thing. And Maybe it's a schematic right. thing. I don't know. I just I just felt like Miami was talking. They were playing together. The chemistry was there. And if the chemistry is not there, then I think the coaches have to figure out a way to get that chemistry developed. I mean, it was there for the majority of the season before Vic came back, so maybe he was that guy. I don't know. I, just, I have no idea what's going on, what has happened inside the locker room. All I can tell you is stuff that I've been told and stuff that you've heard on this podcast. So we talk about it. We move on. We try to make assumptions from what we know. But the Pacers have a, a tough job here moving forward with their coaching decision, and they've got to make the right move. And you said it perfectly: Kevin pritchard has got to be the one that makes the shots, calls the shots. It cannot be Herb Simon overseeing him and saying you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Herb just needs to say how much you want to pay him, how much is he going to cost us, and if he says he's not, if he's going to cost us too much, then he can turn it down. But if he's going to say, oh, I don't like his basketball philosophies, no, uh, I, I think right. you need to leave that up to Kevin. You hired him for a reason.
0: Exactly. There's going to be a, it's going to be a fun off season. I think that the the off season has a chance to be a hell of a lot more fun than the postseason was. <laughs> it um, already we is. <laughs> got that. And then on uh, Monday at eleven, which is tomorrow for us, um, you, you got the Pacers postseason press conference. That's at eleven in the morning, and so we'll uh, we'll watch, listen, and ask questions of Kevin. And you know try to get a good bead on when Kevin's being politically correct and when he's being transparently honest.
1: So 11 o'clock tomorrow, they'll have their end of season presser. Is that going to be via zoom? Yes. Via zoom. Okay. And they're going to air it on pacers.com. I'm assuming I would hope. Yeah, they usually do or on YouTube. So hopefully fans will have access to that live interview. I know it might be different with zoom, but um, I, I think they can figure out a way to get that online. So That's good stuff, Kent. Thank you so much for coming on. People can find you on Twitter at Kent Sterling. I'm an Alex Golden NBA and Pacer Nation. Buckle up. We've got ourselves a fun and bumpy offseason ahead of us. So we'll talk to you all next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings.